Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Let's start in chapter 2, chapter 2 of the book of Acts. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through chapter 2 together and do some things together uh, to maybe help this chapter stick a little bit. But you see, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, last week we, we kind of hit on chapter 1 and the idea of this, this small community that was living together and they were they were building bonds with each other and, and they were really enjoying the fellowship of each other. And one of the main things that they continued to do with each other was to pray together. And what we're going to see in chapter 2 is the result of that prayer of these guys, these men, these women, this family being devoted to prayer together. We're going to see the result of that and we'll walk through that together and hopefully, hopefully it will lay some foundation, some groundwork for us as a church family that if we can replicate some of these things that maybe the end result will be the same as well. So in chapter 1, he tells them, he says, I'm actually kind of towards the end of his ministry. He says, I'm going to have to leave so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, <coughs> we see the fulfillment of that promise. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. See, they're still together. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we're not going to get into a lot of theology of the Holy Spirit this morning. Because that's, that would take us in a completely different direction than where we need to go. But I love the fact that we see the Holy Spirit come onto the scene, not just kind of come onto the scene, the Holy Spirit just kind of burst onto the scene in chapter two. Now, you can kind of divide scripture up in three different ways. You can look at the Old Testament and say that the Old Testament is a lot about God the Father. And then you get into the Gospels and you see, and even into the book of Acts, because it's a continuation of what Jesus and his followers did. That is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the epistles forward are about the Holy Spirit of God. But now when you read Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 and 3 and kind of that section right there, you'll see from the beginning that the Holy Spirit has always been here. We like to think that the Holy Spirit's a New Testament thing. But as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see that the Holy Spirit is a very powerful part of God. It is a very powerful part of His nature. And Jesus told them, He said, for the Holy Spirit to come, I have to leave. I have to go away. And so he has now gone away. They've been together and they've been doing all this praying together. And the result of their praying brings the Holy Spirit into this room in an amazing way. And it fills them up. Now, I truly believe as you read on through this chapter, 
that each and every one of us are immersed. We are filled with the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he tells us that that's the gift that we get is the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit is an individual relationship, a very powerful relationship. But from the first few books of the book of Acts, from the first few chapters rather, chapters 1 through 9 as we're going to really see, you see that the Holy Spirit, yes, He is a personal God, but when the Holy Spirit does His greatest work, it seems to be in a group of people. The Holy Spirit seems to do His greatest work in a group of people. Go to the next slide. If you look and pay attention to the first few chapters, you're going to see a list of things that the Holy Spirit does in 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 community. We see in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this particular section. We see in the response of the 3,000. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, heal a crippled man from the crowd. Later, Stephen is seized and dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, where he is filled with the Spirit. But it's done in a group of people. Philip is ministering in Samaria and then travels miraculously somehow to be with the Ethiopian. Saul, when he is on the road to Damascus, even though it is not an action of the Holy Spirit, it is with a group of people that he comes into the presence of Jesus. And Peter, when he goes to Cornelius, he meets what is said, a large gathering of people. So the Holy Spirit does a lot of amazing things. But it seems that through the beginning of the book of Acts, that a lot of those amazing things are done in community. They're done when people are together. Now, why is that? A couple of different reasons. Number one, I think that the Holy Spirit knew, God knew that some amazing things had to happen to get people's attention. That's a part of society that has never really changed. We, we, we have to uh, sometimes see some pretty amazing things, or I'm not going to say out there things, but some attention-grabbing things to really, you know, key in on something. We're, a lot of us live life in one direction, you know, where we, we, we've got, you know, I asked the question last week, and I'm sure it's the same answer today. How many of you already know what you're doing on Friday, like your schedule's planned out? And you're already stressed out about the week, right? Because you know all these things that you've got to do and you've got to accomplish. And sometimes we just go straight ahead, just just full throttle, and we're not really paying attention to what's going on around us. And then sometimes God brings the Holy Spirit in our life, and just like that, He gets our attention. But sometimes He has to do it with a big group of people in one of those moments. Because we're so keyed in on one direction that God realizes sometimes it's going to take something big to remind us of that personal connection that we have with Him. And we see Him doing that over and over and over in the first several chapters of this book, which tells me, which tells me that when we're together, when we're in community with one another, amazing acts of the Holy Spirit should be the normal thing we experience. It shouldn't be something that we long for, 
because it never happens. It should be something that happens on a regular basis. When we're together in worship with one another, we should feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we are together ministering as a church, we should feel the presence of the Holy Spirit working through us and doing great and doing amazing things. The Holy Spirit should be a normal, regular, active part of our community. Now, in a lot of churches, I've not been here long enough to say this is the case for Ninth Avenue, but for a lot of churches, they've not heeded the advice of Paul from the end of First Thessalonians, where he says, don't put out the Spirit's fire or don't quench the Spirit. Okay, a lot of churches have done that because we're afraid of what we consider the unknown sometimes. And when you can't really quantify the Holy Spirit and what He is and what He does, we get nervous with that because in the churches, of Christ at times, okay? Uh, we like we like things to be in order. And I'm not saying that's wrong or I'm not saying that's bad, but if we're not careful, we'll take it too far and the things that we can't put in order, we just push off to the side and we have nothing to do with it. And a lot of places have done that with the Holy Spirit. We can't be guilty of putting out the Spirit's fire. The Spirit of God needs to permeate within this group of people. It needs to be part of our community. And I will go out on a limb and say it's not true biblical community if it is absent of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has come upon this group of people in a powerful way. And... And they go out, the apostles go out, and they begin to teach, and they begin to preach, and they begin to do some amazing things. Now, one of my favorite things about Acts chapter 2 is in the previous few verses before verse 38. Most of us, if we've been in the churches of Christ for very long at all, Acts 2, 38 is our verse, right? Like, that's our go-to. That, that's, that's, we put our flag there. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a very powerful verse and a very important verse. But I love the couple of verses before where Peter's up there just preaching and all the apostles are kind of just up there just preaching. And this guy just stops him. And he goes, hey, stop right where you are. I've got a question. What do we do with all of this? He was pricked in the heart, and he just stops the sermon. Now, what would we do this morning if David just stood up and said, Hey, preacher, stop. i got to make it right, and i got to make it right right now. A lot of people would go. Some of you would start whispering about David. It would get out that, you know, David disrupted services. But you see, when the Holy Spirit comes, you know, people are convicted. And people want to change. And that was what this guy wanted to do. And, and Peter, he, he, he obliges this question. And what does he say? Hey, in order for you to change, in order for you to get forgiveness for these things, you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And along with that comes the gift of this Holy Spirit. He's saying this thing that you see in us, to get it, you've got to be baptized as well. And they have this moment of salvation talk. This moment of, of understanding that God requires something from us when we want to be right in His sight. And from that point on, these people are convicted and they do some pretty neat things together. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking and talking about verses 42 through 47. 
And I told you last week that this is one of my favorite passages. And we're going to try to, we're going to try to unpack it very quickly and then kind of practice it together. We're trying to practice it together in some way today. He says, starting in verse 42, they devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They made it their purpose in life to make these things the most important things. We understand devotion. We understand devotion. We understand devotion in the sense of our marriages and of relationships. We understand devotion how many of you understood devotion yesterday on game day? How many of you understand devotion? You know, I mean, it's there are some people that we know are way more devoted than others. That, you know, they actually go maybe a little overboard. But, you know, in your walk with God, you're better off to be looked at as someone who is devoted and going overboard than someone who doesn't care. Don't you agree with that? You're supposed to be a peculiar type of person. So, so, so let's be devoted to the point that people look at us and see that maybe we're not right. Well, okay, that's all right, because what's wrong with us is God, and God says the things that make sense of the world, they're, they're just, they're nothing compared to what I know and what I do. So let's keep, what do they devote themselves to? First it says, to the apostles' teaching. First it's to the apostles' teaching. So, What is the apostles' teaching? Jesus said, as he was getting ready to ascend back into heaven through the Great Commission, he says, teach them all things what? That I have commanded you. So the teachings of the apostles are in essence the teachings of who? Jesus. They're the teachings of Jesus. Jesus teaches things that completely contradict the day in which he lived. Ironically, the things that Jesus taught then still contradict the things that our society believes and practices today. The truth is a challenging thing. The truth is something that we have to process and we have to work through at times. And only a true devoted student of the Word of God can truly make those steps. So the question is, are you devoted to those things? Are you a devoted a studier of the Word of God? Because the first thing that these people couldn't get enough of was the teachings of Jesus. I was sitting up in the booth this morning trying to get my, my stuff together. And one of the first things that was talked about in class was the familiarity of the story of the Red Sea from the book of Exodus. And as he was talking about that, I got to thinking about a lot of different familiar passages of Scripture that were running through my head. And if you're like me, and you've been a part of this church thing your whole life, there's never been a break, okay? I went straight from growing up in the youth group, went to Freed Hardeman. As soon as I went to Freed Hardeman, I got into ministry. Okay, This has been a part of my life for 36 years now, no stopping It is easy when you are involved in something for as long as you have been involved in it, if it's been the majority of your life, to look at things and they lose, they lose the shine. They lose the newness. You think, oh, I've heard that lesson. I've read that verse. It's kind of like driving the same car for 20 years. It never gets any newer, does it? It only gets older. These people couldn't get enough of the Word of God. And we have to find it within ourselves to never get enough of it either. Even if we've been in it 
our whole life. To be devoted to it. Then he said to be devoted to fellowship. Now, I love fellowship because fellowship is usually in our vocabulary, in our conversation, is followed up with another word. A fellowship, say it again, fellowship meal. Fellowship means eating, right? Can you have fellowship without eating? I don't know. We're pretty good at it that way, right? But how do fellowship meals usually take place? We say amen, we run to the fellowship hall, we fix our plate real quick, we sit down and we talk to three or four people that are sitting at a table with us for about 30 minutes, then we're so full, we're really more focused of going home and taking a nap the rest of the afternoon, right? And so that's really not true fellowship. You see, fellowship is is intimacy, Fellowship is getting to know each other on a truly personal level to the point that if you're struggling in your life and you're not willing to tell anybody, I have fellowship with you enough, I have connected with you enough, I am intimate with you enough to know that something's wrong with you just by the way you walk in the door. That's the point of fellowship. That doesn't happen just at a fellowship meal. These people were committed to living life together with one another. It wasn't just an hour here and an hour there. It was their life. And we need to be devoted to that as well. Then he says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, what is that in reference to? The Lord's Supper. Now, it's... I'm going to give you a little bit of Matthew here. You can disagree with me on this, and that's fine. I I, I don't think that there is a definitive right or wrong answer with this. This is just Matthew's point of view. A little bit later it says that they went into their homes and broke bread with thanksgiving. I believe, again, this is just Matthew, that communion, the Lord's Supper, was something that they practiced with each other, at least in the early part of uh, of this church that they practiced together as often as they were together. Because ultimately, that's the command of Jesus, right? Did Jesus command us to take communion, the Lord's Supper, on the first day of the week? No. What's His command? As often as you are together, do this in remembrance of Me. And I think at the onset of this community, as often as they were together, they did this in remembrance of Him. Communion was such an important thing to this new church. Now, you fast forward to the book of 1 Corinthians, and it becomes a very common thing to do at the beginning of the week with the, with your brothers and sisters. They had boogered this whole thing up at this point, right? I mean, they're turning it into a meal. People are getting drunk off of communion. You know, obviously, they didn't have the little round cups, okay? Because if they're getting drunk off communion, it would have been, it would have taken a whole stack of the cups, right? So they're, they're doing something a little bit different than us. But hey, they've got it all messed up. And Paul comes in and he says, what you've messed up about this whole thing is the spiritual fellowship that is involved in it. 
He says, you don't take communion when half of the church is missing. You don't get there and hurry up and stuff yourself with it when you're missing the rest of the body. And in chapter 11, verse 29, he says that we are found guilty. We're found guilty when we take communion and forget the body of Christ. And in context, he's not talking about the physical body of Christ. He's talking about the spiritual body. Of Christ. You see, communion's not just about one here to one God. It's not just about my mind connecting to the heart of God. It is about my heart connecting to each and every one of you in this room when we commune before God. And they were devoted to that. That was important to them to have that spiritual fellowship with each other. And then finally it says that they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Prayer that shook the foundations of the rooms. Prayer that ushered in the Holy Spirit. Is our prayer in this church that powerful? Are we devoted to that type of prayer? There again, this is my third week with you. I've not been here long enough to answer that question to its fullness. But what I can tell you is as we get ready to move into 2020, we are going to make some very purposeful steps to becoming a church that is devoted to prayer. See, I've seen in my own ministry through the years that great things happen when they start with prayer. Great things happen when they start with prayer. Not when we get halfway into them, but when prayer is the focal point out of your prayer life, great things will happen in your personal life and in the work of the church. So I want us to become a church that is so focused on prayer that great things just come out of it. So this is what they did. Now let's go to the next slide. Because of what they did, there were some results. Okay, Because of their prayer... The first result we see in chapter 2 is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to do this morning is, is I want us to take a moment and, and through song, I want us to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of this church, maybe in a way it never has been before. And if, if, you, if you're on social media, I hope that you've taken the time over the last few days. I've posted this song that we're going to sing together called Holy Spirit Breathe on Me. So let's go to the next slide. Now, some of you are not going to know this song, and I understand that. But what you can still do is allow this song to, to, to be in your thoughts, to read these words as we go through it, and sing it in your heart. Pray it in your heart. So I hope that several of you have listened and kind of learned this song over the last few days as we've posted it. But this is a song about asking the Holy Spirit to just come and be a part of us. So let's sing this song together. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, let me see all the things you are, all the things you want me to be. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, let me see all the things 
things you are, all the things you want me to be. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. All the things you are, all the things you want me to be. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Let's just pray together for a moment. God, it is our hope, it is our prayer, it is our desire to be so devoted to You. And God, we pray that that devotion leads us to a place where the Holy Spirit just pours out on us as a church. And that its fire and its influence is so seen by everyone around us that as we walk through the halls of our school, when we walk to our job, when we walk through the stores, that our spirit's fire will just burn bright into this community. God, please allow Your Holy Spirit to just breathe upon us, to live within us, and to create in us a new heart. And it's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Let's hit a couple more things and then the lesson will be yours. The next thing we see is God's people repented. When the Holy Spirit came and they heard the message of the apostles, you know what they did? They repented. What is repentance? Well, one of the things that you always hear about repentance is repentance is when you turn away from sin, right? That you're walking this way toward a particular sin and you turn away from it. Now, I've always had an issue with that particular definition because it should end with, and you turn back to God. Because if I've got a sin that I'm walking toward this this way, and God's right here, I'm walking this way, I go, oh, turn from that sin. Okay, I've turned from that sin. Have I turned to God? No, not at all. I want to give you another definition of repentance that I heard a few years ago that I really like, that I like to hold on to. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in action toward God. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to an action toward God. That leads in a change of action toward God. Because you see, we can change our actions for others to see all day long. But if we've not truly repented in our hearts, true repentance has not happened. Now, you've got your little sheet of paper right here. This is the first thing that I want you to do with it this morning. Is I want you to look at that sheet of paper and I want you to take a few moments. And if you want to write this down, I encourage you to. That's why you have the piece of paper. What do you need to repent of this morning? What needs to change in your life? You know, some of us deal with sins in our life that in the grand scheme of things, we call small sins. As I've been involved in ministry for over a decade now, one of the things that I see people struggle with silently more than anything else is the way they love their brothers and sisters. That we call ourselves family. Yet some of us have people that sit in the same room with us, that we worship with, that we lift our voices to God with, that when we see them, we struggle with that relationship. I'm not going to say we hate them, but we don't love them the way we should. And if you go and read through the book of 1 John, you'll see that Jesus, or John says that Jesus taught him that if you don't love your brothers and sisters, you really don't love God. You know, we've all kind of got those kind of secret sins that we kind of hold on to. 
You know, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law always loves to ask me this question. She goes, what did you preach on this morning? Sin? Are you for it or are you against it? And she asked me that for probably the first five years that we were married, okay? And I got so tired of that question. So one day I looked at her and she goes, are you for it or against it? I go, well, I'm for mine, but I'm against yours. She's not ever asked me that question again. But isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? That I'm against your sin, but I want to hold on to mine, right? Because I enjoy my sin a lot of times. Or I wouldn't hold on to it. See, Satan makes sin enjoyable so that we'll give in to it. And we'll hold on to it. Maybe your sin that you need to repent of this morning is not small. Maybe it's big. I don't know. But I want you to write down maybe something you need to repent of this morning so that as you leave this place and you open your Bible later this week, and I hope you do, you'll have this piece of paper and it will remind you that I need to be in prayer about this and I need to be changing this. I am not naive enough to think that this sermon is going to be enough to change you in this moment that you never sin again. It's not going to happen. Overcoming sin in our life is a process. It is a journey. We're always going to have it there, but we can make efforts to... To keep it at bay. But let today be a launching point of something you need to repent of and change in your life. After repentance came the devotion. After repentance came the devotion. On the back side of your sheet, this is a question I like to ask in marriage counseling when, when couples are, are having problems with each other. I ask this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love your spouse? And it's always interesting to see how they respond to that. And then the follow-up to that is what would have to happen in your life to move that number one step to the positive. So let me ask you this this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, how devoted are you to the kingdom of God this morning? Write it down. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being Paul, okay? 10 being Paul, 0 being the guy that thought about coming this morning and is still in bed. Or doing something else. On a scale of 1 to 10, how devoted are you to the cause of Christ today? To, to living out the Great Commission? To being a disciple of Christ? And then I ask you the follow-up question. What has to happen in your life to move that number, one number to the positive, to go from a six to a seven, to go from a one to a two, to go from a four to a five, to go from a seven and a half to an eight and a half. What will it take for you? You're the only one that knows that. But for us to have the true biblical community that we need to have, for the Holy Spirit to have the effect that he needs to have, we have to be devoted to growing in Christ. For many of you, I'm going to tell you the answer to the question I just said. If you will work on the thing you need to repent of, your number of devotion goes up. That's why I want you to have it on the same sheet. So that this week you can begin to pray about both of those things together. Pray about that which you need to repent of. And pray for the effort to grow in Christ. Because you see, when the Spirit comes, when God's people repent, when they are devoted to the cause of Christ, it puts them in a position to what? To grow. What's the end of this verse? Verse 47, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
when we live this, from this passage, eventually God's going to give the increase. So I challenge you this morning, are we living the way the first century church lived? Are we devoted to the proper things? Because when we're devoted to the proper things, these are the results that come. Let's close with a word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to just be together, to just share in one voice songs of praise, to commune in a spiritual way around your table, to pray, to study, to learn together today. And I pray, God, that in our effort of being together over this past hour, that in some small way we've grown. In some small way we have stretched. That we're different than when we walked in. It never happens just in one moment, God. It's always a journey, and I hope that you help us and give us the encouragement we need to journey together always. God, this morning we're, we're most grateful for Jesus, the motivator of everything that we do. Allow His sacrifice to always stay as our focus. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.